0: You are listening to the Break Free from Your Monkey Mind podcast, where you will be introduced to various techniques, ideas, and guests, providing you with ways to improve your mental health and help you take the
1: first step towards your goals and aspirations. Let us inspire you today to learn,
0: grow, and succeed. Here's your host, Tony Gordon. Hello, good evening. Hello, good evening, and welcome to Breakthrough from Your Monkey Mind. This is season four, episode four. And I'd like to introduce my co host, Tony.
2: And good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are in the world. It could be any time at all, people listening in. So welcome, everybody. And how are you, Leon?
0: I'm good, thank you. And tonight we've got Martin on, Martin Wright. So hello, Martin.
1: Hello, um, lovely to be here. So, yeah, it's, it's very weird, isn't it? But we'll uh, we'll go with it. So hello podcast listeners.
2: Uh, (laughs) it's podcast and vodcast, Martin, so they can see and listen, because they, oh. they have a choice. They can either, or did you not get told that part? No,
1: no, no I wouldn't. <laughs> I would have shaved the beard. Oh. I think there would have been some more yeah. serious
2: grooming. they out the sorted out. The background, oh, that's fine. It be like yeah. it all
0: natural.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's it. Everything natural. So it uh, will be on all major platforms. They can listen to the podcast, but also if they want to go to YouTube, we do direct them there as well. Some people prefer to see it. I must have, Most people, it was just me, preferred to go with the audio for some reason. But yeah, they might prefer that one now. Right. Don't they say come a word, with visual now. Don't say a word. All right, thank you. Okay. So as we they said, do come to the visual now. <laughs> <laughs> and first question, Martin's a really difficult one. Okay, tell us about yourself. Oh, okay, uh, so
1: my. I I suppose I should start. My name is Reverend Martin Wright. So I am a a Baptist minister based at Southend on Sea. I've been here about 10 months now. Um, But what I really like is youth work and things like that. Um, so we'll be talking about that soon. I'm also married to a lovely lady called Kim, and I have three children. I have a 17, a 14, and then we thought we'd be crazy, and have another one, a six-year-old. Um, so it's a house full of
2: ages of different places in life as well. Yeah. Okay. And because I always ask, I people is, tell us about and it's amazing. They'll take about 30 seconds to a minute to tell us about the cell. If I ask you what you do now, they can talk all day. Yeah. So a bit more about you. What's your interests? What kind of things do you like to do with being a Reverend?
1: Okay, um, so I'm into running, so I'm trying to get better at that. I'm still quicker than my 17-year-old son, so that's given me, uh, given me the confidence. I'm 41 now, so it's just downhill from here. Um, so I- I'm fighting that as much as I can. Uh, we enjoy camping. We've got two crazy cats um, that come and attack us or come for attention. Uh, We used to be dog people, um, but unfortunately they passed away and now we've become cat people, um, which uh, is a bit different really. Not as many walks, which we're missing. Um, What else am I into? I like coffee. So the stronger, the better. And um, yeah, red wine as well.
2: I think that's enough. <laughs> oh, I've got to say, me and Martin are going to go on well. I've got two cats. I love strong black coffee and I like red wine. So there we go. For life Anne. there. Know,
0: <laughs> Martin, you're the new co-host. <laughs> Congratulations.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, so it's good finding out about. Um, when Leanne first spoke to yourself coming on, what really interests me is the fact that you just mentioned that you've got a passion for youth working. So what exactly is it that you do in youth work? Okay, so
1: it has changed slightly. So I've been in youth work for 15, 16 years in various different contexts and I've done it in different places. So I've been in Leicestershire in the Midlands, I've been in South London um, and I'm doing youth work here as well as leading a church. but various different contexts so we've done detached youth work where is where we go on the street and just chat with young people engaging where they are we've ran um, open youth clubs where we just have conversations and it's a safe place for people to be we've joined more structured christian youth clubs um, with kind of games and teaching and things like that Um, school mentoring Um, working with young people that were on the edge of exclusion, um, hopefully trying to prevent that and just giving them a space to to discover uh, and figure out how to work in in schools. Uh, Also did quite a lot of um, I'd say mentoring coaching with uh, a few young people from various different churches and from schools as well, but outside in coffee shops and, and things like that. Uh, A little bit of um, county lines work as well, so a couple of young people who got involved in gangs, so sort of helping them navigate their way back out. Um, I must say, yeah, um, one successfully, one not so successful, um, and just lots of different things like that, so it's a very varied job, but always meeting young people where they are and and encouraging and, and directing and supporting them.
0: So can I ask, Martin, what made you get into doing youth work?
1: Um, I think I'm quite immature for my age. So when okay. I got into it, I, I was sort of drawn to, uh, to the games, to um, just chatting with them and things like that. But I think there's an element of that. Um, I'm quite a compassionate guy. So, do you know, when you can just notice somebody's not having a good day or or something like that, I do tend to be quite aware of those things. So that works well when in a room full of young people where it might go well or not. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I suppose the Christian kind of term is I just have a heart for young people. I just want them to achieve their, achieve their best. Um, and yeah, the more I do it, the more I mean, I suppose it's like parenthood, you invest so much into a young person, you don't really see the benefits, um, because they move on on their life, which they should. Um, I'm there for a short period of time with any kind of education person. Um, But yeah, just seeing these growths, these tiny little steps forward into um, becoming, yeah, I forgot the term, a fully achieving adult, I suppose, a functional adult in today's society, something Mm. like that.
0: So you mentioned um, that you've been in different areas, so yep. you're doing youth work. Have you noticed a, a change in like the pattern of the areas that you're in? Are some more um, needed for youth work than others, or is it kind of across the board?
1: Um, I think so. If we're talking about wealth, um, I think there is a, a slight difference. Well there's evidence that those that are struggling more financially tend to struggle more with their mental health um, because there's more things to be worried about effectively. Um, but saying that I have met with young people. Um, yeah, one, one young person who has never been on holiday and another young person who goes skiing twice a year and actually once you speak with them and, and sort of, get to where they are you realize that actually some of these some of these reasons for poor health poor mental health um poor well-being is are the same really
0: yeah.
1: um i would say going between the midlands to Le- um to london um there's obviously a difference in pace of life um so i think that probably we'd call that anxiety a kind of high functioning kind of within the m25 the pace is so much quicker Um, and the idea of relaxing or stopping or just sitting and doing nothing doesn't really exist that much yeah
2: uh, around there yeah
1: Yeah. excellent
2: and what are the you've been doing this for 15 years you've been involved with us over that period of time have the issues changed that kids actually go through over the period um
1: i think i don't think so no i think a lot of young people are trying to discover who they are Um, so Mm -hmm. they're they're built in a way where from 11 till 12 they're trying to find their character if you like putting on different masks in different environments to figure out who they are and where they belong Um, i think we can talk um we can say that actually sexuality um identity has become more on the radar in probably the last five years um but i think it's probably a case of more people are speaking about it rather than it's actually increased Mm -hmm. um I, i would say that actually this has always been the case and maybe those people that had um those feelings or those um would identify in a different way weren't able to so just had to stay within society's norm, really.
2: Yeah. Yeah, because I think social media has given an avenue for people to have more of these conversations. But to yeah. also understand more about how they're feeling because you find yeah. more information there. But there was, right, about 15 years ago, if you look at that, there wasn't a place of facilities for people to do things like that. No, but
1: no. The no. other
2: thing as well, you mentioned a bit, which is a really good point, that even someone, you said that doesn't have the holiday, and someone who's been in skiing holidays everyone. Kids are kids, whether they've got money or they've not, they go through the same things, same hormone changes, the same feelings, the same searching for themselves. So that's a really good point. And a lot of people don't realise that it doesn't matter where you come from. It just means that maybe in a different spectrum, you can look as though from the outside, you can understand, well, why certain person's mental health may be not as good, but you don't always understand the other one because you think they've got everything. But what that point shows is we never know what's behind that. You never know what else they've gone through. You can only see a facade, and I love that way you put it in the masks. They do it, we call it psychological masks. They wear a mask for different things, and you cannot see by that. And one thing that's so prominent is some kids can wear in smiling all day, but that doesn't mean they're not hiding something behind that. They're doing that because they feel as so they have to, because they don't want people to understand what they're throwing them because they don't get it. And that brings a good point in for you is that is understanding your position is as a youth worker, but you're also reverend, is, yeah. Does that conflict in any ways when you're actually working with youth having both sides of that
1: um i don't think so i think sometimes um i was actually speaking to a teacher who's uh, who does re at primary school and she said that actually when they discuss um beliefs ethics and things like that they actually discover more from the children because it's opening up a conversation so when you say, what is love, um, they're able to verbalise that. Whereas if you're doing a maths lesson, it doesn't really, really work. And when we talk about what's right and what's wrong, um, there almost needs to be something solid that we can discuss around, that people can reflect against. So um, do not kill. OK, well, is that is that part of your belief system? Why? Why not? What does that look like how does that work so it's almost giving them scenarios of how to work with i think um if we were to take god out of our kind of little god slots that we do where we talk about stories of being a good samaritan and things like that mm-hmm. um, there's a way for a young person to reflect themselves in it to hear a different per- perspective or one that they even support and I think that's, that's important. I think there's also, if we were to bring God back into it, we're, we're very much a secular society now, yet there seems to be this underlying feeling that there is something more. And whether mm-hmm. that's Christianity or whatever, obviously I, I know what I believe, but I'm not, I'm not sort of pushing that. But questioning people beyond what they know and what they can see, it is helpful for young people to to function and, and to be creative um they would say christianity is dying but spiritual spirituality is growing um, yeah. so there's this kind of thing that's happening in society um yeah so i think that's it sort of floats like that i think as christians we would say um we love everybody we welcome everybody and we want them to have the best life um and if there's yeah so so christian christian faith is in a in a place where they're talking about different subjects ranging within the LGBQ plus I think there's a few more letters but I'm sorry um and they're discussing it and, and figuring how that sits within the faith and there's a wide spectrum of of different Christian groups that have different perspectives on that um the same as they have throughout the years. Um, so I just think it creates an environment where they're able to share what they think and then once they're able to share what they think, they can share what they feel or believe or or those kind of things. Yeah.
0: So can I ask a question? When you do your um, youth work on the streets, Mm -hmm. do you um, explain to the youth, the children, when you see them, that you are a minister or do you leave that bit out because some children kind of feel like they don't want to be dragged into a church environment and, and all that side of things. Or do you kind of go in there and say, you know, I'm just here to help talk to you, listen to you and go from there. I I mean, when I was growing up, I was very into my religious education. I loved it. I was really good at, at school. So I really enjoyed doing that. But I know my brother, he would have been like, no, no, you're not dragging me into that. You're not getting me into that cult. And that would, that was his attitude. So What I want to know is how do you approach children when it comes to introducing who you actually are and what you do?
1: Um, I think because I'm a youth worker, I'm a minister, and I'm an adult, there's an an element of power that I have in that space. So I would say if I was doing detached work, I would say I'm a minister, but I'm not going to talk to you about God because actually to do that, if I was walking the streets trying to talk to young people about God, that's me using my authority to push an agenda and that's not youth work. Um, So the groups that are Christian um, are are blatantly Christian. So if somebody says, what groups do you run? I'll say, well, I'll run one on on this day, but if you come, I'm gonna talk about Jesus. Mm -hmm. You're welcome if you want to. So there's never a kind of, yeah, power and authority shouldn't be used in that way as far as i see and it's not good youth work practice um like i think we said earlier um a, a youth worker is a professional friend and the yeah. only agenda is to help them to be the best person that they can be um, so we have to be self-aware so we can help them um grow and an effective in society yeah
0: Brilliant. No, that's that's brilliant advice, and you know, I think you're going to get more people come to you because they're going to feel that they can approach you more, as opposed to feel they're going to be dragged into something they don't want to be put into. Mm. So yeah, no, excellent.
2: Yeah, yeah. I just it was funny leading up to that question. You described your brother's thoughts, and he said, "I don't want to be involved in that cult. I've not had many people call like the church a cult." Before that's quite a new
0: description of that. Yeah, my yeah, my brother was when we was at school, was very much um didn't do his religious education, hated all that sort of thing. So to him it was like, You're gonna brainwash me. It's a cult. That's that's the side of it. Um and I said Oh no, I'm really good at it. And if I went on any um excursions or anything, he oh, I'm not coming. So I've dragged my mum and dad along. Yeah, I've got to do this for my coursework. Um, he would be like, Well, I'm not coming, you're not getting me involved in all that. So Completely two different children from the same household, which was always a laugh in our house. Um, you know, I I take my little boy to um, a play group, which is obviously where you are, Martin, at your church. So I do take him to the play group there, um, and it's as I was trying to explain to Tony earlier, it's not like a church where you'd go in and think, okay, I'm going to be sat here, I've got to you know, read read, hy- read hymns and and everything else. It's so relaxed everyone just feels so welcome and i think that's the nice thing and when my son was baptized um had his um child dedication yourself who done it all the guests were all imagining to turn up and thought oh this here we go got an hour of service to sitting there bored they all come out going wow what a what a relaxed place to be you know it was so relaxed and chilled out and they was not imagining that whatsoever and i was like oh no they're really cool down there they're really they're really nice bunch (laughs) so yeah that's the kind of thing that i think more youngsters if they realize that there's a place that they can go that isn't just going to be sat down doing your sunday school stuff it opens up more doors for people definitely
1: yeah yeah what what she didn't tell you tony is i had to send her a text message saying what are you wearing for your vacation because i was worried that they were all going to turn up all suited and booted which we did i I wear jeans and a shirt and that's me pushing myself to the limit so i was a bit concerned that.
0: and yeah, we we still did it we all turned up nice dresses all suited up and the boys all had ties on and when they saw martin turn up they all went and they come off and they were like oh, okay, we don't need ties. I was like, they went, where's the mini style? I was like, that's him. <laughs> so, yeah. very and chill. Again,
1: there's, there's a reason behind that, because, I mean, the old style was suited and booted, look really polished, and mm-hmm. I just see that as another factor of excluding people. So, if we want to welcome everybody from every single culture, how does a person feel that could never dress in a suit, that can't afford to be all shiny? And I just think, actually, it's... It, it's it's just a negative effect. It excludes people. It, it puts me in a different place from everybody else.
2: Um, yeah, just that it builds a barrier between you and them. Yeah. That you've got to break down before you can start getting that communication to build. Because you made a good thing with earlier about the relationship. It's a rapport that you need right away. If they're going to trust you and respect you, if they've got that barrier, they've it. Difficult. I know me growing up, that was one of the things. We had like two youth clubs near us. You would one where anybody could just go and play of them was at. The other one had more music and that, which we loved, but you had to go to a chapel to do that. But what they didn't realise is that the priests were trying to change people's perception of the church then. Although they still were a dog called, they were very laid back, very down to earth. And I think nowadays, I think your way on it already alleviates a lot of the issues for young ones going there, that they can feel they can talk to anybody because there's not the barrier they've got to break down. They're just going, they just see another person, maybe an older person, but that's all they see, as yeah. there's nothing else that's in between that. And I think that's something then that, what you've said it has been a great change, although maybe the issues have not had to change over the years, over the last 15 years, but the church and the way that people then can interact with the church has. is one thing, guys, these sessions, these good the youth things that you do, they're open to anybody, but they only yeah. have to be from the Baptist church.
1: Uh, they're open to everybody um so the we did detached work over the summer and that was just bumping into people um we have a friday group but that is a it's got a christian element to it but it is open Mm -hmm. to anybody um and i suppose yeah so i want to sort of backtrack to why why i'm still passionate about young people because as a forty-one year old, people would go, Well, you're too old for youth work, Martin. You need to you need to move on and, and hang
0: on. They didn't see you dressed up as an orange at Christmas. So I
1: don't need to mention that.
0: Um, <laughs> Sorry, sadly the, now.
1: <laughs> but no, it's, it's but the thing is, I look I look at the the, the generation that we've got now of, of young people and we it's just so they're gonna be the generation that will earn less than their parents. And the last time that happened was after the World War II. Yeah. So, and, and that's gonna take resilience for people, for young people, for adults to get through that, to not be mm-hmm. pushing for this growth that we've all been told. I mean, when I was at school, the question of what I wanted to be when I was older was one that we sort of talk about, but it wasn't that big a deal. Now, it's all that they hear about, really. they need to aspire. they need to go to uni um so i'm I'm even backtracking on the differences in fifteen years, but I'm probably talking thirty years now and there's so much pressure on young people um i I've got what we've we got I've got some stats so a mind is mind uh, and they did a report in twenty twenty one uh ninety six percent of the young people um they spoke to um said that their mental health has been affected by their schoolwork at some point um 56% of staff identified that young people uh, didn't receive help correctly when they were getting self when they realized they were self-harming um yeah and and just all these other kind of things where it, you just think what why is it not clicking why why is why are young people still in a situation where it's not getting better, it's getting worse? Um, and I'm still, I hate exams, and I'll be honest, I didn't enjoy them. But if I look, if you were to plan when to test somebody, would it be the point once they're full of hormones, don't know who they are, and can't make a decision of what they have for breakfast, would that be the ideal time to put them through tests? because that's what we do at it's, the minute and it's ridiculous. Yeah,
2: and glad you said that because as if you'd listen to the other podcast that I do, um I get a real beam of bonnet about this one and I go off and a real tangent with us because I believe I work a lot with students. And you're right the the younger ones, the ones um 17, 18, they struggle more with the fact of the last couple of years at school didn't get preparation that we normally would for going to university and um, some of them missed the first year at university when that's really the most important year for them is the integration part of that type of work integration with the communication with people from everywhere not even your own area and also understanding the gulf between high school and university or academic life and academic work and they've missed a lot of that and they struggle and people keep putting it down oh it's the exam stress well two things with that one not not the exam stress only comes about because they've not studied properly or not got any strategy how to study, and they're not taught that really. As a society, we teach our education system, if you look over the last 50 years, you're right, still teaches people how to pass an exam. So we teach them in primary school to pass any exam for the second We used to call it IQ, and it's still the same. We get IQ tests, see where they're at. Then you go to secondary school, in the first year you do all these tests to see what sets you're going to go on or where we're going to put each person. So we're already establishing these blocks between different people going and saying, well, I'm not going to put you there because you're not as bright as this one. So we want to put these ones here and you go somewhere else. Then we get them ready for them to pass their exams now, that all levels are up, the exams that they do. So the GCSEs, they pass them. Then you're right, they go, they go, they go to college or university or A and other apprenticeship or whatever, as people will say, the way they talk about it. And we get them ready to pass an exam to go to them. And then we spend four years at university Or more to pass an exam at the end of it, to go into working life to go, what the hell have I just walked into? Because I don't know what I'm doing now. Because, oh no, give me an exam, I'll pass it. Ask me to do that work, I talk to him, I don't know what to do. And I've never understood why we've changed the curriculum for the content, but we've never ever looked at the fact is, how do we teach these kids life skills that they don't become the 40 50 year old people that I deal with every week now who need help? because yeah. they never got taught that at school, and you're right. So we need to be, as a society, saying, okay, at primary, we need to get them ready for going to secondary, secondary school, prepare them for what's happening. And you're right, not in exams, but how do you deal with what's going on internally as well as in your mind? Yeah, And that comes from schools, it comes from parents, it comes from society and the church. If we get everybody together in each area and say to them, right, how do we improve this? How many kids will not go through what they go through, and how many of them self-harm without parents even knowing themselves? How many of them nowadays are very good at hiding where they do it? Used to be their arms. Now you see them doing it inside their ankles or on their legs, bits that cannot be seen. They do it mm. so that even the parents don't know. So for you, if you, good question, well, if you get somebody comes to you and you realise that, you spot it or you see them, how do you broach that as being a youth worker? Um So,
1: I think the first thing I would do, I wouldn't bring it up. So I'd I'd arrange to have a coffee with them. I'd give them opportunities to share, um, but only when they share. I think if I'm pointed out, um, they'll feel guilt. They'll feel they'll exclude themselves. They'll move away. They'll hide. Yeah. Um, but if, if somebody was to come to me uh, and they're self harming, um, my first question is, what do you use? Is it clean? and Mm -hmm. do you do it safely because self-harm self-harm is the it's not the cause it's the effect isn't it
2: yeah the cause
1: cause is actually poor poor well-being uh, and the effect is self-harm the same as drinking too much alcohol or smoking or taking drugs they're the effect not the cause Mm -hmm. um so we would talk about how to how to yeah make sure but it's clean um and and just put in some processes um so we've we've done that a couple of times I've worked with a family when the parents found out and then um they worked with that um so we put in little things where they could indicate if it had happened and, and just mood kind of things um and just just various kind of things but Yeah, the first thing is to make sure that they don't feel guilty and that they feel understood in it Um, and then find them different ways of of creating a different cause, 'Cause because if I'm honest, I go for a run because I may be a bit anxious or a bit full of energy or I've just found a healthy way to process. Because when we talk about mental well being actually that's all of us, we we all, to a certain extent, have to manage our well being. Uh, um, it's whether we use healthy tools or unhealthy tools to
2: to keep it going. But, yeah. Um I suppose the thing I'm getting is you also, you mentioned that, you're a parent. So yeah. you're a parent with a child that you don't know is doing something like that. And obviously the worry is if it escalates and nothing's done, it can lead, normally it's a prelude or it can be a prelude to suicide. So if you've got someone in that situation, and it was one of your children and they were in a youth centre or whatever and that person notices that would you want to know would you want them to tell you even though to maybe not to broach it with them but find a way of bringing it up so they don't realize it's keen? but would you want to know that yourself okay
1: i would say the training that i've done um said that self-harm isn't a prelude to suicide i think they are two different kind of paths so um because that's an issue we look at self-harm and then we instantly jump to oh no this is going to happen and that's not the case at all this is this is them finding endorphins um for for a short period of time to make them feel better before the guilt kicked in um but no from my perspective because i've done youth work no I think I, I, they need to process it themselves, and
2: people. I'm glad you said that because I know this question I've been asked before. And is where does it come a point when the parents need to know something when you don't see things? But a lot of it, the children do that. It's a coping mechanism. James, you mentioned alcohol, drugs, whatever, and yeah, they could be doing it. And if you're making sure that it's clean, or whatever they're doing, and where they're doing it isn't going to cause any major harm, is that no better than sometimes? That like, it can seem weird to say it that way, but then go on drugs or going and drink somewhere, that when they're out of control and they can't do it at least this way, they can't control that. It. It's just understanding why they do it and the thing for them is never asking them why, because it's if you're accusatory, accusatory. if you do that, it's and just trying to bring up, I like the way you did that, just bring in a conversation but let them do it. You're guiding yeah. them towards it without actually making them tell you.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, you can talk about well-being even when you know that it's happening um, because it's linked to it, but you don't need to say "I'm aware of this," um, and that's that's part of building trust and things like that. There is an element where I'm a youth worker, so I'm restricted in what I know. Um, I would work in the mental well-being area. If anything got too serious, um, we then redirect. Um, to other services which as you said actually these services aren't where they should be at the minute and they're a bit slow in processing um and then we journey with them in, in whatever way like that but we need to or well, i need to as a, a youth worker realize my limitations and how long i'm with them for that journey um before somebody else needs to step in and and, and address it really
0: yeah. do you ever find that you get um, children that just become attached to you, use you as like an anchor, and you need to know that boundary of when, like you say, to move them on to somebody else.
1: Yeah, so uh, triangularization, I think, is a theory. So um, they put you in the middle as a kind of, you hold this for me, and that, and that definitely does happen. And that's not to say that's a bad thing in the short term, but there always needs to be... Um, how do we get into this relationship but also when's the end and how do we work towards the end and I suppose that's what you guys do um, but I would do it more informally um, because it is a if I'm working with a young person from the age of 11 to 18 actually that's quite a spread but actually how do we meet um, quite intensively for a long period of time and then how do we draw that to the end and then how do we stay in contact and and those kind of things. So um, yeah, it does happen, but there are obviously things that you can do and, and help them to work with. Um, I suppose I've got a question for you guys, and this is something that I've sort of witnessed and see, but from my experience, when people are, do suffer in poor mental health, they tend to all gather together and support one another. Uh, And that's a a really wonderful thing to do because there's understanding and things like that. Um, But then sometimes when that happens, it becomes the norm. So it's trying to, how do you, have you ever encountered that kind of space really? I know you're supposed to be asking me questions, but I'll ask you one.
0: I have purely through um, some of the Facebook groups that I follow for my condition. And you tend to find that people will all link together because Misery loves company. So if somebody's saying, oh, I'm in a lot of pains, oh yes so am I, also oh, so am I, and it kind of becomes this big thing. Um I like to break away from that and process, like you said before, processing, it's all about processing. And if I get people come to me and they say, Oh, you know, I'm suffering with this, oh, my friend suffers with it as well. And I will separate them from their friends and look at them as an individual mm-hmm. and concentrate on them as an individual person we'll deal with your friends after we've sorted you so that's how i do i mean tony you may do it completely different but i do find that the facebook groups a lot of them are misery loves company so they will all club together in that sense and i sometimes for me that just doesn't work
2: i think majority of the time it doesn't work um right. because it, it you're right i think many they, they, they get so comfortable with themselves being in it that they don't see a way out anyway. They just see what they've got on it. I had one recently. um, You've got one who wanted all these things to do in their life, but they were sort of losing the vision that wanted to do with that because all the friends around about them are now suffering the same as them. So you say, okay, they were talking about how they're really down about an exam results they got. And um, so your friends do really well because you you just think it's just them. They say, well, no, actually they didn't. You wonder why that would be. And they start to realise that if they want to get where they've got to go to, they can't just be with these people then because look what happened. What would you like before you met all them? And they start looking back saying, actually, I was good at this, I was good at that. Now tell me the things you're good at. And all they can tell you are all the bad things that happen. And say, so, okay, forget them in a moment, you've done that. And I, I do read Daphne and I say, right, tell me three things about your favourite food. So they'll tell you about that. Three things of a place you really want to go, or oh, you've been before on a holiday, they'll tell you all these things. Tell me three things great about yourself. And they'll come up with one. Normally, they stop after one. And you say, them, think what you just did. All these things are amazing. But you can't even think any good about yourself. And that's when they start to realise that there's an issue. Why is that? Because this is what other people tell me. So they don't hear it. And if you don't hear the good things all the time, how would you expect to change? If you're only hearing misery all the time, that's why you won't change. So it's getting change their perspective, but getting them to realise it rather than you. All you have is a guide. I tell people, that's all I do is guide them. They have to come to you. But the moment they do, and they watch that look in their face, when they realise, and it's amazing. And it's just, I can change. I can do this. And I do with that with affirmations with them. Right? How are you going to do that? I, I can change. I'm going to change. I will change. And you just keep doing them, doing little things at a time. And they start to break away from those people then. And they don't feel as bad because they realise that that's what was holding them back. It's not themselves that's holding them back. It's because they get caught up in that culture that everybody's yeah. against us. And that's, it seems more now prevalent because the top of the, the, the mental health issues. But I gave him, Mum said, I teach everybody the same thing Is everyone is on this planet has got mental health. Everyone is. How many has gotten on a Monday morning go, oh, real. do I go to work? Oh, I've had enough, I can't face this this week. That's your mental health getting often one. The difference is some people need more help than others to deal with it. That's the only difference. There is nothing wrong with them. They're not broken All these words that people use. It's just they need different help from what you do. So if I asked somebody to go, you said you're great running and your son can't catch you and running, that'd be great. But I said, right, you've now got to jump a huddle at six feet high every 100 metres you go along. You'd be going, what? Right. But you get somebody else who's great at that, they'll be flying past you doing it because that's what they're good at. And that's what young oh. people have to realise, I think, a lot of themselves are now. We've all got things that we're good at and things we're not. It doesn't mean because someone's suffering with that. That are any different if someone's got a broken leg you treat them that way because all right would you need to help me haven't if someone says i've got a mental health issue you've got okay and you leave them why do we treat them different when the mental is the same thing as the physical health they've both got to deal with it yeah um, oh. yeah
0: go on, on martin no go on martin.
2: um yeah and it's and
1: i was thinking like a, a broken leg you can see it can't you it was broken now it's yeah. fixed. Mm-hmm. mental health it's so more difficult to measure. And I think that's probably why it's not invested in at schools as well. So we talked about, exams, yep. like you can't, you can't, you can teach somebody about managing the mental health, about all this wellbeing stuff, but there's no way of measuring that success until they're 30, 40, 50, 60, all mm. the way on. So the schools aren't able to invest in this because they can't show... That it's made any difference mm. um, and i think
0: as well it's it's the whole being perfect yeah. you know and i think that is a lot of it you know when i was at school there was people that were always studying 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 because they had to pass their exams because they had to be perfect what what is perfect you know who's perfect what what is this word perfect that we try and all put ourselves under and i've got a three-year-old and i if he does something wrong and he goes, Oh, I've I done that wrong. And he gets upset. I'll go, it's okay. Don't worry. We can try again. How do you know that that wasn't good enough? And he goes, Oh, okay. So it's, I've never, ever said to him, you've got to do that. And it's got to be perfect. I, I don't understand that word perfect. And I wouldn't expect a child to understand that word perfect. And I wouldn't, turn around to a child and say, you've got to be perfect? Because can either of you answer what the word perfect is?
2: I've got a simple answer. If you get to perfect, <laughs> where do you go? I'll tell exactly. you about the same thing. If you ever get to perfect, where do you go? So why would you ever want to get somewhere you can never move on from? Yeah. But it doesn't make sense to what, me when talk about that.
0: Perfect, that's the thing. It's like, you know, everyone, I want to be perfect. It's perfect having a lot of money, you know, being academically brilliant, you know, being an Einstein, the best looking, because what one person thinks somebody else looks attractive, somebody else might think they're not. It's all individual perspective of everything. And Mm -hmm. this whole perfect, I found when I was growing up, you had to be the perfect dressed, you had to be the perfectly good at school you had to be perfect at this that and the other and if you wasn't you were an outcast that was then a lot of pressure as well as exams as well as everything else to be this this idea that somebody's created in their mind that they have to be
1: yeah um yeah and it's so it is so within the culture and the subcultures so a kind of example of that is, um, I use my daughter, she'll be fine. Um, <laughs> when, we, when we're in Croydon, it was kickers, kickers shoes and a rucksack. yeah, coat. So that's what she wore. That's what everybody wore. And that was perfection, wasn't it? Everybody's got those shoes because they're perfect. Um, and then when she's come here, nobody wears kickers. They all wear those little slip on black shoes. Mm-hmm. It's not a rucksack anymore. It's a handbag and mm. so she went to school thinking she was perfect she fitted in brilliantly and after the first day she was like dad my shoes have broken I, I need some new shoes uh, we had to go and get the shoes that everybody else had and then by the end of the week we went to got a handbag because mm.
0: so that's yeah. the pressure it's <laughs> the pressure from her going to school and seeing what everyone else has got feeling that she's got to do the same so would you say that works in the same way as when you've worked on the streets with um children that have ended up in gangs because they haven't fitted in and they're trying to find that place in their life to fit in so they haven't been able to you know been able to afford that 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 type of shoe or that bag or maybe that baseball cap and you know they've found somewhere else where they can fit in and they've been drawn into that.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of different ways. I think a gang is like a family. So those people Mm. that felt a bit lonely have been welcomed into that space. They've been given gifts, they've been looked after, they've been taken places. And obviously this is all part of
0: the grooming side. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that happens. I think also money side. It's it's easy money as they see it. Um, there is a bit of an image um, of this is how you look. So you mm-hmm. could you could see somebody who who goes to a private school in the week dressed the same as a gangster at the weekend, and that's because it's this is my culture. This is how I dress. Um, so there is that kind of idealistic image of what. Yeah, especially where I was, actually, if you were to look at a gangster and look at, well, somebody in a gang, sorry, not a gangster, that (laughs) paints is somebody with a custom pie gun. Um, (laughs) But yeah, there's this kind of influence from music and and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, yeah, so I've lost the question, but
2: yeah, they sort of fit into it, don't they?
0: Yeah, that perfect world, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, again, back to that pivot, yeah. Right, so one last thing then before we finish. If you could change one thing in society that I Martin, that would make life easier for the young people that you deal with and youth culture, what would it be? Oh, <laughs> nothing like putting you on the spot. I, I
0: was going to say that, that could be a long I, I'm, one.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm going to go a bit Christian now, um, but I think just for young people to know that they are loved, I think that is. If if every single young person knew that they were loved, and I'd say by God, by parents, by whoever, unconditionally, whatever you do, whatever happens, you are loved. I think that would solve a lot of issues, really. I think that's that's where they come from. Sorry to make
2: it a bit churchy. No, but- no, it, it, it's brilliant actually. Because we're going to see what Leanne thinks of it now. Because she thought it was funny me asking a question there, so she's got to answer it now. What would you change? <laughs>
0: Um, I would change the fact that I would allow children to know that they can come to people for help and advice communicate and know that that perfect image is just something that they are imagining in in their world that they're in now and to realize that there is no such thing as the perfect person because everyone's got flaws as we've all spoke about already this evening everyone's got mental health issues so who is exactly perfect in this world and if you to ask a child they may tell you their favorite pop star or um a fashion icon somebody that they see a lot in the media that they see as an image and think that's perfect, that's what I want to be. But if they was to find out about that person, their background, they'd all of a sudden go, oh, no, I don't want to be like them. So what is this image? And that is one thing that I could change with use is I would say to them, there is no such thing as perfect. Mm-hmm. Now, Tony, I'm going to throw the question. I'm going to throw it straight to you now, Tony. Come on in.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I- Think for me is to allow kids to know they've got options in life. Mm-hmm. It's not all about passing an exam. It's not all about going to school and going to university, college, apprenticeship, whatever it is. There is so much in this world out there that needs every one of us. Every child that comes through has got a place in this world. And I better forward the bits back to both these. easier. One, so they don't think that everything has to be perfectionism because that's only one test. That's some person's interpretation of what perfectionism is, being loved. Some's important as well, because whatever they decide to do, they're going to be loved for. That's what they need to know, is that they've got these options. You never know how many of them that we don't nurture, that it could be some of the greatest inventors or some of the greatest um, business owners out in the world because they're told they're not that good at school because they can't pass an exam. Okay. Yet, if they look at some of the most famous people who've done well in business, how many of them never done well at school? Mm-hmm. And they don't realize that because they don't look at them as their own models. Look at Richard Branson's one of the best examples. He yeah. learned the most important lesson he his young age. And that's, even if you don't know what you want to go and do at a job or something, go for it anyway. You can learn when you get there. And he tells everybody going to go for a job because he didn't. And how many times has he failed? And what does he tell it? All it is, is I, same saying, I've got it. I say every failure is a step in your way to success. So when a child gets something wrong, you said your three-year-old does that wrong. You just say, that is great. Now you know that's not what you do. Oh well, we'll go and see how you do do it. Mm. So they learn right away that it's nothing bad to get things wrong. What they are learning is there's a place for you and you will fit there eventually. They will find that place. And where it's with God, without God, with perfectionism or that, everybody needs to find that. And that's what really, that's what's so good about what Martin does. And please keep it up. Especially the fact, if you still think, you've been looking through a child's eyes, if you said that you, like a big kid, maybe somebody's like, you've never really grown up. Then I said this to you. In fact, yes, there's nothing more special and if we could get one afternoon, just one afternoon, and remember what it was like to look through a child's eyes, how much different would our life be if we could just do it at and again, just sit for an afternoon and look through their eyes and not try and make them look through us? That's mm. the big difference I don't want it. It's letting kids do that, be children, and let them grow up, be whatever they want. Mm. Yeah. So in that note, thank you very much to Martin for coming along tonight. really appreciate it. And great insight. So thank you for that. Thank you for the as usual, in the coast on here. And we'll see you all again next week. And uh, we've got another guest coming on next week, who's Les. Uh, I won't give much more information about her, but Les is actually works a lot with children. So she's coming to love, Give us an interrogation of maybe falling off from Martin's thing, children that have come from deprived areas. What kind of things that they can get, what choices they have in life, how can we help with that? So we're looking forward to that as well. That should be a great one It's there. So again, take care of yourself and your families. And thank you for me for joining tonight. And Leanne.
0: Yep. Thank you, Tony. And thank you, Martin, for coming. I really appreciate it. And yeah, great insight into what you do. So keep it up. As Tony said, more children need people like you.
2: Okay. Thank you. Bye, everybody. See you next time.
0: Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening and tune in
1: next week for more great conversation, valuable tips, and positive ideas, allowing you to
0: take your first step towards learning, growing, and succeeding.